You guys can have a seat. Good morning. Uh, if you got your Bibles, grab them. Go to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. Uh, we're going to take a break from First Peter this morning. I, uh, about Thursday afternoon, Thursday evening. Uh, I just felt like the Lord was calling an audible. Um, and uh, that we just need to look at, look at Acts chapter 10. Um, the reason, and this was kind of rolling around in my mind all week though, even though I wasn't planning on really preaching on it until later in the week. Uh, at our elders meetings every Monday morning, me and Conrad, Matt and Neil, uh, we meet for a couple hours every Monday morning and we always start off the meeting um, just asking these two questions. What has God been speaking to you? And what has your greatest struggle been this past week? And so we share that with each other. And um, we, uh, we focus on trying to shepherd each other uh, as well, too, um, as we try to shepherd the flock of God at, at Mercy Hill in general. And so we start by asking those questions. And, and Conrad is actually the one that, uh, that brought up that God had just been speaking to him here out of Acts chapter 10. And I'll talk a little bit more about that probably later on, just specifically what he'd said. But then what, but what Conrad had shared just really spoke to me. And then it kind of just, as I was meditating upon it, just kind of led me down this, uh, this rabbit hole of, of just um, a lot of what God is doing in this chapter. And I just felt like uh, the Lord would have me share it this morning. And so um, what we're going to be looking at uh, in Acts chapter 10 is Jesus is now, of course, in the book of Acts, he's uh, ascended back up into heaven. Uh, he's no longer on the earth. He came, uh, lived the life of, for the most part, a um, humble, marginalized Galilean peasant for about 30 years. And then he began his public ministry for about three years. And then, of course, he was crucified, but raised again on the third day. But he's now ascended back up into heaven. Uh, but that does not mean that he is idle. Uh, that does not mean that he is still not on the move. Um, the book of Acts. Do you know why the book of Acts is called the book of Acts? You know, most of it maybe in your title on page, on page one or wherever chapter one is in the book of Acts. Most of them, like mine says, it says the Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, of the Apostles, that it's the continuing story uh, of, the, of, you know, what the, the Apostles are doing in, in spreading the gospel. Um, and I, I don't want to take issue with that title this morning, but I, I think it's actually more accurate uh, to call the book the, the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles or the Acts of the Risen Lord Jesus by the Holy Spirit through the Apostles uh, because Jesus is still on the move. He was on the move back then in Acts chapter 10 even though he had arisen and was seated at the Father's right hand and guys, he's still on the move today. He is still on the move today. We serve a missional God that is in the earth doing something, okay? And the amazing thing and really one of the expressions of his love is that he's not just doing something, but he wants to be doing something through us, through his people. That this is how, in his sovereignty, he has chosen, he has chosen to move. And we're going to see him here this morning in this text speaking um, to a couple different people, primarily Cornelius, who is not a Christian, and Peter, who was one of the first Christians and one of the you know, leaders of the early church. And God is speaking to them both. And, uh, and the thing, kind of the big idea that I want to get out this, this morning is that, is that we serve a God who in his love for us 
calls us into a relationship with him. And guys, we serve a God that speaks. Is that not amazing? That we serve a God that wants to speak with us? That he, when I say he wants to have a relationship with us, he wants to have a real relationship with us. You can interact with the living God. This is at the heart of what Jesus Christ came to die for. That in the Old Testament, God came down and man, he spoke and it was something. And it was glorious. And in and, and some of those Old Testament acts, as, as, as Alan even read this morning, at the Red Sea, and then after the Red Sea, he brought him out, and he's taking him into the Promised Land, and he comes down on Mount Sinai, and it's filled with smoke, and there's an earthquake, and there's a loud heavenly trumpet blowing so loud that the people are covering their ears, and it's, it's freaking them out, and God's speaking, and he speaks to him on these stone tablets, and he writes these commandments on these stone tablets by his, the very finger of God, and he gives them to the people. And that's awesome, but it wasn't enough. Because our hearts are hard and we needed something even deeper than God coming down on a mountain in an earthquake and fire and smoke and lightning and thunder and a loud trumpet. We need him to do something inside of us. And so Jesus comes and he sheds his blood so that now this new covenant can be introduced. And the heart of the new covenant that Jesus came to die for is that, guys, he wants to speak to each and every one of us. He wants to have a relationship with us. Nothing could be greater and we... We go about our days wandering around thinking that life is meaningless or that God is distant. When he came down, he left all of his glory and all of eternity. He became a man and he took the punishment that we deserve for the express purpose that we could enter into a relationship with him. In Hebrews chapter 8, let me read quickly before we get into the book of Acts. Um, in Hebrews chapter 8, uh, the writer of Hebrews is actually quoting from the book of Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 31 uh, about this new covenant that will come someday. And it has come now. As Neil said earlier, we're now on this side of the cross because of what Jesus has done. And the writer of Hebrews says, describing this new covenant, he says, I, I will put my laws into their minds and I will write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, know the Lord. Why? Listen. For they shall all know me. Not just, and not just know about me, but they shall all know me. They shall have a personal, intimate relationship with me. From the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Um, and I say all that because in, this, in Acts chapter 10, in this story that I want to look at this morning, I just want to jump in, we'll begin to walk through it, and I'll just make a couple points along the way as we read, uh, is you have this God who, Jesus, even though now he's risen, he's still on the move, and he's still speaking, and he's speaking for the sake of mission, of calling his people into mission. Um, but there are things, specifically when I look, want to look at this morning, there are things that specifically at times hinder us from hearing, from hearing the voice of God. Uh, and I hope that God in his mercy um, would take his word this morning by his spirit uh, through my broken efforts um, and remove anything in our lives that might be keeping us from a more intimate relationship with him where we hear him and where we obey him. So let's just jump in and read the story and we'll 
get to where we need to get eventually. Acts chapter 10, verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius. He was a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. Uh, so he's a Roman soldier. He, a co- he, he um, as a centurion, he had about 600 men uh, under his command. Uh, it says, he was a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. Now, he's not a Christian. He is just a general God-fearer. He's a, he's a religious guy. He um, uh, may have even been offering sacrifices to, to more than one God, but he's, he's kind of doing the best he can with the knowledge that he has, but he does not know Jesus, okay? Verse 3, about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come to him and say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror, which is, by the way, usually what happens uh, when people encounter an angel or have some sort of supernatural experience like this in the presence of God. Sometimes you hear people tell stories of uh, maybe having similar experiences or bumping into angels, and they almost kind of like make it sound like they just kind of, you know, saw God and they just kind of gave him a fist bump, you know, or whatever. Said, yo, what's up? Uh, that's never the way it happens. <laughs> Uh, when you encounter the holiness of God and the supernatural, people are always terrified in the scriptures, always, okay? Um, John, even the apostle John in the book of Revelation, when he sees the Lord Jesus and has this vision, he falls at his feet as though dead. There was no fist bump. Um, that's what happens when we encounter the holiness of God. And so Cornelius uh, yeah, sees this, and, he, and he's filled with terror, and he says, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon a tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them away to Joppa. Okay, so now, so here, here's the stories that Cornelius, this, he's this religious Roman soldier guy, and he's just doing the best he can, and all of a sudden one day his kind of little religious routine gets interrupted by a holy angel, which had obviously never happened before, um, and so God is speaking here, you see God is sovereignly on the move, okay, um, and he does something that's kind of out of the ordinary here in speaking to him supernaturally. However, God's not done speaking. He's going to continue to speak to Cornelius, but not directly anymore through an angel. He's going to speak to him through a man. And this is one of the things I want to point out, and I'll develop this as we go along. But guys, God is committed to speaking and to advancing the gospel, not just in a supernatural way like through an angel, although he could do this, obviously, right? He did it here. But he is committed to advancing the gospel through his people. That even though we see him initially here taking the initiative to get Cornelius' attention in a very rare supernatural way with an angel, not many people ever had an experience like this, okay? But, um, even though he can do that, that's not the way that he is committed to working in the earth. He's committed to working in the earth through his people. And so you, now you're going to see him kind of go and give us a, a, a different type of supernatural experience to Peter because, again, God is committed to using people to carry out his mission. So it's kind of like a movie. The camera kind of pans out now from, you know, Cornelius in his house, and it goes over to Peter, who's in Joppa. Um, and he's hungry, and he wants to take a nap, um, which I relate with often, because I feel those two things many times throughout the day. Okay, number, verse 9 <coughs> says, the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. 
and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. You ever been going to prayer and like all of a sudden your stomach starts growling? <laughs> Peter has that, that experience here. But so he's, he goes up there to pray uh, and he becomes hungry. Uh, continuing in verse 10. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and he saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came to him a voice that said, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. You guys have heard me say this before, but that's the verse I always like to quote to my vegetarian friends. I'll eat a steak and I'll praise God for it. Amen. Um, And there came a voice saying, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Now, a little bit of context here quickly. Uh, Peter is a Jew. He grew up a Jew, and so he was used to having a kosher diet, okay? And so there were certain animals uh, that, according to Old Testament ceremonial laws, um, that they were not allowed to eat. And what seems to be happening here, um, as you read between the lines of this, this sheet that's coming down with all these animals on it, is that there are both clean and unclean animals, and they're mixed together and uh, and Peter's hungry, and God says, okay, Peter, well, I got the solution for you here. Rise, rise and eat. And Peter says, by no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is not common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time. And he says, what God has made clean, do not call common. So now listen, we've got attention here. We have Peter who's hungry. We have God, and again, through this vision or through this trance, he's kind of offering to uh, satisfy Peter's hunger. But Peter says, no, I can't eat anything that's unclean. And God says, it's not unclean. Don't call unclean what I've made clean, okay? And then, here's what I love about this, verse 16. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up to heaven. Verse 17, I really like verse 17. And this is kind of what what Conrad was kind of initially sharing at our meeting on Monday morning. Um, That kind of led to me just wanting to study this passage more this week. Verse 17 says, Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean. Um... Have you ever thought before, man, I just, I wish that God would just speak to me in a vision. I wish he'd just really make it clear. Has anybody ever thought, like, you just wish that God would just, sometimes, do you ever get confused about what God's saying in your life? Yes? Sometimes you're kind of like, I I think I hear you, Lord, but man, if I could just, if I could just have a dream, if I could just have a vision, if you could just write it in the sky, if you could just give me a sign, if you could just make it really plain, then surely all this confusion would go away. Peter gets... A heavenly vision. He's caught up in a trance. And then listen to this. He gets to see it three times. It's like instant replay on Sports Center. You know, it's like, I don't get, can I see that again? Rewind, yep, can I see it? Oh, can I see that again? Three different times, and still at the end of it, he's confused. He's perplexed. So, and, and here's really where I want to, I want to kind of settle in, and, and it's Conrad was sharing uh, on Monday, um, kind of the gist of what he was saying was that how for a while he, he'd, he'd been in a season where he kind of felt like that, like, like God was speaking, but yet he wasn't really sure what he's saying. But now kind of in the season, he's kind of gotten more clarity. And it just very much resonated with me because I think that that's very true to life. Um, I don't know how many of you guys would say amen to that, but like if you've walked with the Lord for any amount of time, uh, he does call us into relationship, and he's faithful, and he gives us his word, and we get it. And, and again, his word is, that's why we're looking at it this morning. This is how we, 
primarily hear his voice and his spirit reveals it, uh, reveals things to us and gives us guidance and it's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. But still, even though he calls us into a relationship, I don't think there's anybody that at times has not been confused by maybe what God is saying. Um, and so uh, it's both a comfort in that Peter here, um, even though he's having this supernatural vision, instant replayed three different times, he still gets up from the experience and he's still perplexed. He's still not fully sure what is going on, but there's also something here that I think is very important for us to learn, and that is why, why was Peter not understanding what God was saying? Why was Peter perplexed, even though he sees this vision three different times? And here's, here's the answer that I'd, like, that I'd like to give this morning and kind of unpack from the text is that the reason that Peter had a hard time not hearing the voice of God because he was hearing it, but he wasn't really understanding it. The reason he wasn't understanding it, the reason he was living in a little bit of a fog was because of a religious mindset or you might say a religious stronghold of the mind that was keeping him from hearing what God was saying and from understanding what God wanted to do. And what I want to touch on this morning, at least one of the things, is just this idea of how our religious mindsets can keep us from rightly understanding the voice of God, and, and even though he, he's such a good, awesome God, and he shed his blood so that, you know, we could enter into relationship with him, and he could, he wants to speak with us and tell us things um, for the sake of carrying out his mission, that we could be effective as his hands and feet. Still at times, uh, a religious mindset can kind of null and void all of that. And that's amazing to me. It's amazing to me that even though, like in this text, and even in our lives, even though God is, he's doing something completely supernatural, you see. <laughs> he's given, he's, Peter's caught up in a trance. He's, he's having a vision. Same thing, three different times. But still he doesn't get it. And the thing that, after Conrad had shared that this morning, and I began to think about this passage, or when he shared that Monday morning, I began to think about this passage. I just thought, like, just for my own life, first of all, man, Lord, I just wonder, are there things that you're trying to speak to me, things that you're trying to get me to understand, and I just don't perceive them, because I've, I'm locked into religious mindsets um, that... Uh, that are just blocking what it is that you're trying to say. Throughout the scriptures, guys, um, I would argue that one of the most demonic things that you'll encounter is man-made religion. So that, again, man-made religion, uh, in other words, um, rituals, traditions that, um, that men come up with and that we hold to, to somehow... Uh, 
and we think that they somehow make us right with God or that they somehow uh, allow us to, to draw near to God. Uh, in the end, they're demonic. And they're demonic for this reason. <clears throat> they're demonic because everything that the devil wants to do, he wants to minimize the cross of Jesus Christ. He wants to minimize what Christ has done on the cross. And the book of Hebrews is clear is that, is that we now, um, because of the shed blood of Christ, have this opportunity to come boldly before a throne of grace, a throne of grace, where we can find mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. And, at, and the thing that needs to be broken in every religious mindset um, at the core of it, is always some sort of belief that minimizes the work of Jesus Christ and minimizes his shed blood. So specifically from the text, to point out what I'm saying here, Peter has this thing about eating clean versus unclean foods. Now, here's what's interesting is that in the Old Testament, like in the book of Leviticus, you can read about the, the, these laws, and God gave them to his people because, it, again, he was, he's preparing everything. There's the whole history and the whole arc of redemption where he is calling a people to be holy unto himself. And so there were certain ceremonial laws that he wanted them to keep, and some of them were that you know, he didn't want them to eat pigs and cloven-hooved animals, and there were certain things uh, that were unclean, and it was just an outward way to show that they were set apart um, unto, unto the Lord. However, in the New Testament, Jesus comes, and Peter would have been part of this, and we, won't, we don't have time to go back and look at all this, but like in, in Mark chapter 7, uh, Jesus says very clearly, he says that it's not what goes into a man that defiles him, but it's what comes out of him. He goes, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, and out of the heart come immorality and theft and evil and lying, and, and he lists all these different things. And then Mark gives this little, and it's usually in parentheses in our English translations in Mark chapter 7, Mark says, and in saying this, Jesus declared all foods to be clean. Okay? So the, the point is here is that even though it's not Peter's fault that he grew up Jewish and grew up with some of these traditions and mindsets, he now had come to a place in his life, though, even, in, again, in following Jesus for three years on this earth and having been one of the first ones that's directly given the Great Commission, is that even he is still holding on to religious mindsets, and at the core of it, he does not understand that everything has been cleansed by the blood of Christ. Again, Peter said, verse 14, By no means, Lord, I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. What is God's response? What God has made clean, do not call common, or do not call unclean. Guys, there is absolutely nothing or no one that cannot be redeemed because of the blood of Jesus Christ. There is no person, there is no race, there is no group of people, there is no relative, there is no mother, there is no father, there is no son, there is no daughter, there is no co-worker, there is no boss, there is no neighbor, there is no background that is too sinful, um, there is no addiction that is too strong, there is no brokenness, that cannot be healed. And it, the reason that all those things can be overcome is because of the shed blood of Christ. And where we believe that there are outward things that we need to do in order to make ourselves right with God, we are minimizing what Jesus did on the cross. 
Just this past week again, I, I, and stuff, and you know, okay, so legalism is everywhere, but in our community, and again, mostly, like, if you're like me, I've grown up here my whole life, but in our community, I don't know how to say it, it just gets really, really dumb. I, I don't know how to say it. Legalism is everywhere. It's not just a Holmes County thing, but in Holmes County, it gets really, 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 really ignorant. Like down to this past week, I heard a story from somebody else that, that heard a story that, well, I, I don't know that we can really associate with you anymore because of the way you cut your hair. Jesus Christ did not come and hang on a cross, taking on himself the sin of humanity so that you could have the right haircut or so that you could dress a certain way. Or so you could be made righteous through belonging to a certain club or driving a certain type of vehicle or not driving a certain type of vehicle or any of these things. He came because all of us are completely unclean. There is none righteous, no, not one. And his shed blood is the only thing that makes us righteous. And where we hold on to religious mindsets that thinks that there are other things that we have to do to make ourselves right, we minimize the blood of Christ and we keep the mission of God from going forward. Are you with me? And, and guys, what I want for us this morning is, because maybe you're like, well, okay, well, I guess if I've got those religious mindsets, Lord, give me a vision. <laughs> Bring down the sheet three times. You know, show me. And I would say, no, 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 he's given us something better. He's given us Acts chapter 10. He's given us his word. Because again, the sheet and the vision thing, like that didn't even work for Peter. Three times in slow motion, and Peter's like, oh, what? But we have his word. And I, and I so, guys, I so want us, for those of you that call Mercy Hill home, I so want us to search our hearts. And to ask the Holy Spirit to search our hearts. To speak to us. And that he would reveal things in each one of our lives. Because here's the thing, and I'm throwing myself right in it with everybody else, as I should. I guarantee we've got them. I guarantee we have religious mindsets, strongholds. Things that we think that we do. Traditions that we have. That just make us just... Yeah, I mean, you know, Jesus got 99% of it, but I've got that extra 1% that I added to it. It's demonic. Minimizes the blood of Christ. There was absolutely nothing good in you. And there was absolutely nothing good in me. And so Jesus came to pay for all of it. And one of the reasons that people can't get set free, one of the reasons the mission of God stops going forward in power is because sometimes we even share a gospel that isn't really a gospel. It's not really good news because it's 99% Jesus and 1% you. Or 1% this little tradition or this little thing or that little thing or this do or this don't or whatever, whatever it might be. Um, Jesus came to pay it all. Came to pay it all. All to him we owe, as that hymn says. Uh, and guys, I want, I, I just don't, again, if, if you've been attending Mercy Hill for any amount of time, like, I, essentially what I'm saying here is nothing that you haven't heard me say before. Um, 
religion stinks. Um, and it does not honor and glorify Jesus Christ. And, and what Jesus did, it deserves, he deserves, he deserves all the honor and all the glory and all the praise. Because if he would not have done what he did, we would have no hope. And man, because he loves to take glory for himself, which again is demonic. Uh, if you trace it all the way back, the roots go back to Lucifer, uh, which means shining one. That was, he was kind of the pinnacle of God's creation way back in heaven before time began here on earth. And he wanted to make a name for himself. And he said, I will ascend to the throne of heaven. And God struck him down. And that desire to make much of self is ultimately from the devil. Um, but anyway, uh, Jesus came to destroy that stuff. And, and as we see here, Peter, um, even Peter, needed this to be overcome in his life. Uh, and, it's, I, and I love this picture. I just want to point this out. Again, just kind of saying the same thing in a different way. But if you'll notice verse 10 and verse 13, that, again, I, and I hadn't noticed this until I went back to this, this this past week and was studying after Conrad had shared it on Monday, that, that I'd forgotten that, you know, I, was, I, I remember the story that, you know, God brought down the sheet with the animals on it, but I forgot, verse 10, that Peter was actually hungry. And I love this picture that Peter's hungry. God says, okay. Here you go. What, what is God offering to do? God is offering to satisfy his hunger. But what keeps Peter from being satisfied? His religious mindset. And that's true all the time. Is that our religious mindsets, they not only stop the mission of God from advancing, um, but they keep us from being satisfied. <laughs> they keep us from delighting in what God has for us. And going on here to, you know, like I keep saying that it's, that it kept the mission of God from expanding is because, you know, you're several years in here. You're probably, it's hard to say for sure, but you're somewhere probably around six or seven years in to now Jesus from the ascension and now the mission of God going forward. But the mission is kind of, it's kind of stalled a little bit. Up until this point, it's primarily still a, a, a Jewish church. And you have some proselytes from, you know, that were Gentiles to Judaism, and then they got saved. But it's still very much a Jewish church. The Samaritans have gotten saved uh, through Philip and through Peter back in Acts chapter 8. But up until this point, the gospel has not gone forth into all the world. And Jesus said very clearly in the Great Commission, I want you to go to all nations and make disciples. He'd said in Acts chapter 1 that he goes, you're going to be my witnesses to the end of the earth. But it had not gone forward. Why had it not gone forward? Because of this religious mindset that they just could not, could not get around. And so God is faithful here to bring, to bring Peter through um, and to continue to speak uh, and ultimately to give this story to us in his word. But let's continue to look at it a little bit, verse 17. Again, now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate. Verse 18, and he called out to whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. 
Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. Now here it's not a vision, but somehow again, the Spirit of God is speaking. And the Spirit of God still speaks to us today. I like when these, there's several verses throughout the, the book of Acts where it just says, and the Spirit said. And what I like about it is it doesn't tell you exactly how he said it. It just says that he said it. And sometimes uh, if you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, uh, you just know that you know that you have to go, that you have to have this conversation, that you have to get rid of this, that you have to, that you have to change this. That's what it's like um, in this new covenant is that now the holy, the Holy Spirit can dwell with that which is unholy, which is us. And he leads us and he guides us and it's real. It's not pretend and it's always, it's always for purpose. Um, and so the Spirit says to him here again, again, Peter, go, you know, because he knows he's got to break through this religious mindset that he's got. And so he goes downstairs and he, and he gets the men and says, oh, jump down to verse 23. The next day he rose and went with them and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. So they're heading back up to Caesarea now where Cornelius is. And on the following day he entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and he had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. Again, Cornelius is he just has a very general knowledge about God, and even here he falls down and he worships Peter. And verse 26, Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, for I too am a man. And he talked with him, and he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection, and I asked why you, and I asked why you sent for me. So somewhere along the way, as Peter is going, he connects the dots between this vision that he's had and that it really wasn't just about animals, it was about people. And again, a point, and I've kind of already made this point, but like wherever we have religious things that we do, okay, and ways that we think that we're separating ourselves by participating in these certain traditions or whatever, that means that there's other people that are not part of those traditions, okay, and it's going to keep us from loving them and from accepting them the way that God wants us to. And that's why the mission up to this point had not really advanced to the, to the Gentiles. Uh, but again, Peter connects the dots here in the end of verse 28. He understands that God has shown me that I should uh, not call any person common or unclean. Now, God had not shown him specifically people. He'd shown him these animals, but Peter connected the dots. Again, when God speaks, it's always for the sake of mission and for the sake of the kingdom going forward and for the sake of it advancing. And guys, this is important to understand because we, sometimes, uh, and again, this might not be for everybody, but sometimes I've seen people like, you, you want to sit around and you want God to speak to you just for the sake of like having a cool experience or just for the sake of getting goosebumps or something like that. That's not really why God speaks. He gives us promises in his word his promises are true, and it's through his great and precious promises that, um, that we overcome and that we, we can, that we're said, it says, Second uh, Peter, that we're made partakers of the divine nature. Because when God speaks, he's trying to accomplish something. And if you're not, the, here's the point, is that if you're not willing to be all in and live on mission, then don't really expect him to speak. Like what for? You didn't obey the last 10 things he told you to do. Does that make sense? It's like we, we, to, be, to, to want to hear the voice of God, we also have to be willing to want to change and to go, and to go where he's going. 
um, and to be willing to let go of those things that he points out that he points out that we're holding on to. And so verse, verse 30, Cornelius goes on and he uh, um, uh, talks, recalls his experience of how God had spoke to him by the angel. And so then verse 34, and what does Peter do? So God speaks to him, does Peter have some sort of new plan now for the Gentiles? Is he, does he have a different message? Is he going to, you know, uh, instead of preaching, is he going to do like a little skit to try to reach them and make them more comfortable, you know? And, uh, um, no, he's going to preach the gospel just like he did on the day of Pentecost. Verse 34, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee and after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in this country of the Jews and of Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. Again, he always, if you're going to preach the gospel, you got to preach the cross. Okay? Never leave the cross. Never leave the sacrifice. Never leave the shed blood of Christ out of the presentation of the gospel. Um, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear not to all the people but also to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he had rose from the dead and he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed to God to be judge of the living and of the dead to him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So the good news always has two parts. You've heard me say this before. It's what Jesus did for us, and it's the fact that what he did for us is only received by faith, okay? If he had done all that he'd done, but then it had to be received in some other way, it wouldn't be good news enough for us because we're not able to do anything else other than to just receive it by faith in order to receive it. So if we had to jump through religious hoops, if we had to do something else in order to receive it, we'd all be hung because we can't do those things consistently. The only thing we can do is receive it as a free gift, knowing that there's nothing we can do. Verse 44, and while Peter was still saying these things, so as he's preaching the gospel, the Holy Spirit fell on those who heard. Man, this is a whole other sermon, (laughs) but oh, that God would let the Holy Spirit fall on us and on our community. And that he would, with just one sweep of his hand, wash away all of the religious ridiculousness that fills our lives in this community. Because it is not honoring and glorifying to him. And as I said earlier, it does not bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ. And it minimizes what he did. Lord Jesus, let your Holy Spirit fall on us, please. Verse 45, And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. Can you believe it? The Gentiles received the Holy Spirit. Do you have somebody like that? Do you have somebody that you'd be shocked 
if the Holy Spirit entered their lives and changed them? If the answer is yes, then even there again, it's pointing back to the fact that you might have a religious stronghold, a religious mindset. Because guys, there's not, there's not in, in, in terms of people, there's not the holy and the unholy. There's just the unholy. There's just the unclean. And there's one holy. His name is Jesus. And he came to make the unholy holy by his shed blood. Verse 47, can any, Peter says, Peter declared, can anyone withhold water? for baptizing these who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Uh, worship team, you can come up and we're going to close. And as we do that, guys, I just want every one of you, if you would, please, would you please just bow your heads and close your eyes. And again, as, as the worship team comes up, guys, I just, um, just want to give some space here. I know this is pretty simple this morning. Um, but I, I truly just want to give some space for the Holy Spirit to search our hearts. Um, I, th I think it would just be arrogant for any of us to think that we might not have any sort of religious mindset or religious stronghold that might be keeping us from understanding what God wants to do or what he might be speaking. Because if Peter had it, I don't think it's beyond us. Um, So just a couple questions that I pray that the Holy Spirit would, would speak as we close to your hearts. Um, I just want you right now, if you'd be willing, just to ask the Lord to reveal to you any legalistic traditions or mindsets that might be keeping you from the mission. That really, that, that, that might be keeping you actually from being satisfied. That might be keeping you from having your hunger <laughs> fulfilled. Again, Peter was hungry. God says, I got it right here. And Peter says, oh, I can't do that. Um, secondly, are, are you in a season where you do feel like God is speaking, but you're just not sure what he's saying? If that's the case, first of all, be encouraged because I think it's common to the Christian life. And so you're not alone. But secondly, there's a good possibility that it could be because you've got a religious stronghold or a religious mindset that's keeping you from really understanding what God's trying to say. Um, and again, all you have to do right now is just ask the Lord to remove that. Just ask Him to take that away. Because ultimately, and here's the, just the last thing I want to say as we close, is just, are you in any way, and I say this because, again, this is at the core of all these religious mindsets and strongholds, are you in any way underestimating the cleansing, healing power of the blood of Christ?
there is no sin in your life that the blood of Jesus cannot overcome. Guys, there's nothing. There's nothing. There is no sin. There is no brokenness. There is no evil that the shed blood of Christ cannot overcome in someone else's life. He took upon himself once for all the sin of all humanity throughout all of time upon the cross. What he went through outwardly is just the tip of the iceberg to what he bore spiritually as he was separated from the Father so that we could be brought to the Father. There is nothing that the blood of Christ cannot heal, guys. There is nothing that the blood of Christ cannot cleanse. And Lord Jesus, as we close this morning, I just ask, Lord, that as we come, as we do every week, God, I hope not out of tradition, not out of just because it's just what we do and part of the service, so I got to get up and go, oh, Father, please, please, Lord, please, let us come this morning and partake of your broken body and your shed blood in communion in a way that truly, Lord, maybe for the first time or maybe for the first time in a long time, where we are just overwhelmed by the precious blood of Christ. Where we're overwhelmed by what you did that we could never do. And you didn't just do it for us. You did it for the Gentiles. You did it for the Corneliuses. I know we are Gentiles, but Lord, you know what I mean? We, we, you, did it for, you did it for those that are out there. You did it for those who are lost. And Father, you've called us to take the good news to them. Please help us to obey you, Lord. We love you and we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You guys stand with me, please. If you're helping serve communion, you can come forward. Let's just continue to worship. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you, as often as you do it in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. He said, this is my blood in the new covenant. As often as you drink of it, do it in remembrance of me.